Good morning. Great to be here with you today. Come on, somebody. It is Sunday. Yes, the, my favorite day of the week. I get to be here with you. I'm also leaving for vacation after church today. I'm in a great mood, everybody. A great mood. Thank you. I appreciate the support. So clapping for my vacation, right? I know it's fall break. You know, half the church is at the beach. I'm going to do my best to not see them at the beach uh, when we head there. But just joking. Um, but it is fall break. It's great to be here with you uh, this morning. Church, first off, deep breath. Man, isn't there something about a hymn? Did any of you guys grow up with hymns? If you're sitting here and you didn't grow up, some of you didn't grow up going to church. This is your first one. And um, we're so thankful that you're here. If you grew up going to a church like as a kid, you might have caught a hymn or two growing up. There's just something about those old hymns that just gets me. Right in the fields, doesn't it? Whew. All right. That has nothing to do with the message. Here's my question for you today. Do you feel like you're winning? That's rhetorical. You don't need to, you don't need to answer it. Do you feel like you're winning? You may have heard, you know, the little catchphrase, all I do is win, right? Right? We say that, oh, okay, we've got, we got, we got some bouncing happening in the front over here. Okay, all I do is win, Right? Does it feel like that for you? Does it feel like you are actually winning? And here's what I mean by that. So you, 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 you have worked your tail off. You finally got the car paid off. It's paid off, right? And it's like the week you get it paid off when you should be able to put money in the bank account, now all of a sudden the car is falling apart suddenly, just, just magically. Now it will not work properly now that, of course, you have it paid off. Ooh. And you have those questions or those, those, those under-the-breath comments like, am I ever going to win around here? Am I ever going to get ahead? You know what I'm saying? You feel that. Does that resonate with you? Right? You, you took the new job. And yes, it came with a little pay bump or a pay raise, but, but you thought you were going to be happier at the new job or the lateral job. And instead, you find yourself carrying so much more load. Your mind is just, is just buried with thoughts and management and people, and it's a lot more stress. And you're, you're wondering, did I make the right move? Was this the right decision? Am I ever really going to get ahead? Because I feel a little bit stuck or I feel a little bit frustrated with this. When am I going to win? You have the medical issues where you finally get some answers or you finally get some breakthrough. It's one step forward and it's two steps back. And you're like, God, what is the deal? Church, what's the deal? Am I ever going to win around here? Or you come to church. Oh, you come to church. And you hear people talk about victory. Victory in Jesus, like the old song goes. And yet in your faith, you find yourself struggling with the same things. Same doubts. Same insecurities. Same frustrations. And you think to yourself, like, what's wrong with me? Am I ever going to 
win. And what is this victory that people seem to just keep talking about? How can I get some of that? Because I don't feel very victorious. Anybody able to relate to that in any way, shape or form? I know I sure can. I'm preaching to myself today and I'm in a great mood, right? I feel victory. I feel victorious. And yet I also know full transparency. One of the things that pastors deal with, I don't struggle with it all that much, but it's real common is to preach your guts out on this stage. Get in your car, go home, and they call it the blues, right? The pastor blues, meaning Sunday afternoon and Sunday evening can be some of the most depressing time for pastors. How is that possible? How can you preach fire? How can you feel the Holy Spirit using you? How can people be coming to faith and getting healed or experiencing breakthrough, and then you go home and feel the very opposite? God, where are you? Where'd you go? <laughs> Why is my NFL team losing? Right? Like, I feel so discouraged, God. Come on. Where are you? With me. Right? Of course. Today we're talking about defeat and we're talking about victory. And there's no better story to go to than 1 Samuel 17, which is arguably the most famous story maybe in the entire Bible. It has taken on its own sense of culture and pop culture. And that story is none other than David and Goliath. And as we get into this sermon and into this message, we're in a series called Serpent Crushers. And the entire thing is rooted in that one little moment in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve decided to rebel against God. And sin entered their hearts and entered the fabric of the world. Literally the poisonous bite of the snake. It's like poison that works its way through. But even in Genesis chapter 3, we see God giving the promise of a Messiah that would undo the works of the enemy. And so when you read the Old Testament, it's not just a nice collection of old stories. It's the story of faith that is to point us to the greatest story of all. Story of Jesus and how Jesus has defeated your enemy, and mine as well. First Samuel 17. Are we ready for this? We're going to read most of the story today. If you haven't read it, this isn't for child. This isn't child's play here. Right? We, we, we got David and we've got Goliath. Okay? And maybe you, maybe you skip over this because you're familiar with it. You know it. Well, today we're going to get reacquainted with it. Shall we? 1 Samuel 17, verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Six cubits, you may not use that term. That's about nine and a half feet tall. Where's, where's, where's Patrick? Patrick, how tall are you? Six foot six. Our worship director, Patrick, is like six foot six, Okay. <laughs> Right? He's, a, he's, a, he's right around here, okay? He's tall. Tack on another three feet, okay? And we're, we're talking a man who's the top of his head. It's getting, it's not quite there, but it's getting close right to the top of this curtain at, 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 on our stage. This man is huge. A champion. 
Nine and a half feet tall, he had a bronze helmet on his head. How big was that helmet? And he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That's 125 pounds. That's how much his armor wears. That's more than my middle school son weighs. 125 pounds, just to give you perspective, the average bowling ball that that people use is 15 pounds. You picked up a 15-pound bowling ball? That's nothing to, like, shake a stick at. Eight of them. And that's just his armor. My man is carrying some weight. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. In case you didn't know, a javelin was for throwing. It was short, shorter than the spear. But he also, oh, he still had a spear, right? He had a javelin and a spear and he had a sword, okay? My man was triple equipped. And the shaft... The, the, the spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels or the equivalent of a 15-pound bowling ball. Just the tip of it. So next time you go bowling, if you do that kind of thing, I want you to just pick up a bowling ball and just hold it. Like hold it out like this. You know how quickly your arm is going to just start shaking, flapping, flopping. So you hold 15, that's the tip of the spear. It's just 15 pounds. Holy smokes. Goliath is a giant. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man. And have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day. He didn't just just put a little challenge out there. He puts a stamp on it right here. This day, I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Okay. Now, if you don't know the culture, it's not uncommon to have what's called a single warrior combat ritual in this moment. This is culturally sound, right? And when you you look at the history, when you look at when when we look at, at how things played out in different communities and different cities, we know culturally speaking that this is actually quite accurate. That it was common practice. For an army to line up against an army and to pick their best champion, right? In the day, like Troy with Achilles, if you remember the Greek, the Greek tragedy. And so here we have Goliath, and he's with all the pomp. He is the Philistine man of the hour, and why wouldn't he be? He's nine and a half feet tall. He can hold up a 125-pound coat of armor and a 15-pound spear shaft, spear tip, excuse me. This guy would have made you shake in your boots. And that's exactly what happened. Verse 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, when my kids were young, like little, little, there was a show on PBS called Super Y. 
I used to love Super Y. As a parent, you kind of start getting into your kids' cartoons. Sometimes it happens, right? And then the songs get into your head, right? And you start singing all the songs. But there was something, I don't know what it was about Super Y, but there was a little saying that they said in every single episode that I have just carried with me forever in a day. And the, 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 the show starts out and you have the little cartoon tension. And then the, the guy would look, the little character would look at the screen and say, that's a super big problem. That's a super big problem. Today we have a super big answer. And it would be like, that's a super big question. There's a super big answer. Today, as we look at David and Goliath, guess what? We have a super big problem. And his name is Goliath. So here we have, we have in this corner, Goliath. We have Israel over here, dismayed and terrified. And then we have, enter scene, David. Now, David, this is verse, 15, verse 12, was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David, he went back and forth. He had to. He went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now already, you don't have to be a Bible scholar, but already there are clues in the text that there is more to the story than meets the eye. We have a shepherd boy tending his father's business, and he is from where? Bethlehem. Full stop. Just put that, put that in the back of your mind for a second. David goes to camp. He's visiting his brothers. He's bringing them some food. He's bringing gifts for Saul. His father had sent him. He doesn't get to stay there. He's not a technical soldier. He's got work to do. He's tending the sheep of his father and his family's house. But he gets to camp and he's hearing Goliath at whatever field, I forget the name of it, but he sees the taunting. He sees the, the defying, the pomp, the pride, the arrogance. And he wants to know who, who's going to deal with this guy. Like, come on, somebody. Everybody say that. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. That's David right here. Like, who's going to rise up in this moment? Like, this is ridiculous. Who's going to take this guy out? And David was young, a little bit smaller, handsome. He's a musician, plays the harp. He's the warrior poet. Oh, but he's been tending his father's house, and he's had to do what? He's had to chase off the lion, the tiger, and the bear, right? And uh, oh my. <laughs> and so David said to the Philistine, verse 45, Right? Oh, excuse me. Let, me. let me even just back this up. David, incredulously, is like, look, if nobody else is going to rise up, I'll do it. I'm, I'll do it. I may not be this experienced soldier, but I know my God who is with me, and I'm going to go take this giant down. This is embarrassing. He goes to Saul. Saul says, okay. Saul tries to put his own armor on him, and David's like, I can't do this. Like, this is your stuff. I'm going with my stuff. And that's faith 
in God Most High. I'm going to get my sling. I'm going to get a few stones. And I'm going to take this punk down. Uh, come on, somebody. Uh-huh. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You can see the indignant, like, who do you think you are coming against, not me, but my God? You don't even know who you're talking to. You coming against us? No, 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 no. I'm coming against you. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'm going to strike you down and I'm going to cut off your head. Whoo! This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. And the church said, Amen. Okay. Now, there's something already. Like you read this story and you read it. Like really read it. There's something that gets in your bones when you read the story of David and Goliath. Like, that's right. oh, that's right. How dare you? Do you know the God that I serve? He's that good. Do you know the God that I serve? He's that great. Do you know the God that I serve? He's that strong. How, devil, I don't think you got, you got, you got the wrong address today. You're not coming against me. I'm coming against you. And I'm driving your little punk behind out of here. Whoo, okay. That, that gets on you a little bit in this story. Now, here's my question for you. When you read the Bible, how do you place yourself in the story? Where are you in this story? Here, here's what I mean by it. When we read the Old Testament in particular, it's story-based. It's historical-based, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it's a history. It's a telling of what has happened in the life of God's people. So when you read the Old Testament or you hear the Old Testament stories, you have to do a little bit more work to figure out how this actually applies to my life. What is this? Why did God include this? What is God trying to say to me, to his people? Why did he include this in the scriptures? Where are you in this text? Where are you? See, the tendency in this moment is for me to preach the story of all the giants that exist in your life. And there are giants that exist. Things that feel gigantic, are there not? Family problems, parenting issues, adoption issues and challenges, things at KSU, things at your middle school and high school, relationship dynamics, money problems, job problems, health issues. Oh, there are giants in your midst. And might I also add, just so that I don't take this out of context, some of you have some real giants that aren't figurative. Like you know the pain of, of like restraining orders and the fear of, of someone or some presence in your life. You know a real giant. 
Where are you in this story? Because the tendency is to preach a really great sermon for you on how you can go out to the field and how you can slay your giants. I think I can probably make that theologically sound for you. And most of you have probably heard that sermon. You've probably even heard me preach that sermon before. But as you look at this story, where are you in it? Are you Goliath? Are you the bad guy? The enemy of the cross? And you don't even realize it? Are you David? The hero of the story? Are you the one who's, who's reading the Bible and you're like, yes, yes, I'm going to go slay this giant and I'm going to experience victory and, and here's my three stones and this stone's reading the Bible and this, this stone is praying and this stone is church community and I put them in my little sling in my pouch and I let that thing rip and the giants are coming down in my life. That's a great, that is a feel-good sermon. In fact, even as I preach that, even right now, I'm like, yeah, that feels good. Here's the problem. One of the reasons we struggle to experience victory in our lives is because we don't know where victory is really coming from. And we as Westerners many times, this is a Western challenge for us. We read the story of David and Goliath and the natural inclination for us as Westerners is to see ourselves as the hero of the story. We are the center of it. We are the ones responsible for victory and we love the accolades and we love the attention and we love the praise and the glory and the honor and, and we read the story and we're like, I can be David. But guess what? You are not David in this story. I have great news for you. You're not Goliath either. But that only leaves one other category for you to fit yourself into. Who are you in this story? You are Israel sitting on the sidelines, dismayed, discouraged, and a little bit afraid, wondering how on earth you're going to experience this victory. Who is it that you need in this moment? You need a Messiah. Who is it that you need in this moment? You need a champion. Who is it that you need? You need somebody that has all the strength, who has all the faith, who has all the victory, while you stand on the sideline and basically do nothing but trust in the one who goes out representative for everybody else and slays that giant. Who are you in this story? You are the people on the outside looking in, waiting for the champion to do his job. That's who you are in the story. That's who I am in the story. But the, the challenge is that we oftentimes see ourselves as David. And while that feels good for a moment, you guys know. It's like you just can't keep that victory going. But how could you possibly do that? If victory is on your shoulders, if the weight is on your shoulders, 
if you're responsible for it, guess what? You're going to find yourself perpetually frustrated and discouraged because you cannot possibly bear the load of accomplishing the victory that Jesus accomplishes. You guys with me this morning? Victory is not experienced by you becoming the hero of your own story. It's experienced when Jesus finally becomes the hero that he's destined to be in your story. Let me say that one more time. I I, I jacked that up just a little bit. Victory is not experienced by you becoming the hero of your own story. That space should be occupied by one person. And that's Jesus. He is the hero of the story, your story, mine, ours. There is a popular, we've been on campus now three weeks straight. And by being on campus, if you're wondering, we're doing campus ministry and we are evangelizing. We're doing what's called the God Test. It's an app-based survey where we're talking to students about faith. Let me tell you, let me tell you something. It's a wild time out on, on a college campus. Right. You, you, you're there for five minutes with somebody and, and all of a sudden you're like, man, this was going so great. And then they look at you and they say, so um, I talk to animals and they understand me. Um, and I'd like to talk about that. OK. <sighs> what do you mean by this? True story. Or the, the amount of crazy beliefs that people believe or espouse. You know, they, they have beliefs and value systems on campus that are, they catch like the common cold, right? Where it's just the, this day I got this one, the next day I got another one, right? But one of the more popular things that gets posted, shared, believed, it's subtle. And I'm going to bother a little bit. I'm going to bother you because you probably have written this. You might have this in a journal somewhere. You might write it on your mirror. And it's the phrase, you are enough. Just bear with me for a second. I understand the sentiment. I understand that we're trying to communicate value. I understand in a world where people haven't felt worthy, we're trying to establish worth, we're trying to establish value. But many times what this is actually communicating to people who, who, who need strength in their bones, who need true victory, who need victory over sin or victory in a relationship or victory in their, in jo- in their job, victory in their mind, victory in their soul. We keep telling people, you are enough. In other words, you can do this. You're strong enough to do it. And humans make no mistake about it. We have shown amazing ability to endure and persevere and have strength. But I'm here to tell you, That is one of those subtle doctrines of belief that if you really believe, truly believe that you are enough for all of your issues and all of your problems, well, guess who you actually don't really need anymore? You don't need a Messiah. And that is exactly where we have found ourselves with this generation. They don't need a Messiah. In their mind, they don't need it. Why? Because after all, they are enough. 
No, you're not. I'm not either. We aren't enough. And that's actually good news to hear today because in one breath, if you are enough, then the question that must loom is why do I continue struggling? Why is it that I can, I can buy my dream house and in five minutes of moving in, I'm struggling with envy from somebody down the street? How can I finally get that car which was supposed to, supposed to just solve my problems and fill me with joy? <sighs> I'm already frustrated. What do you mean that light just came on the dashboard? I rebuke you right now. <laughs> Why can't we keep that victory? Why can't we keep that energy? Why can't we keep that thing? Because you haven't been designed to carry the responsibility of victory. You know whose responsibility that is? Jesus Christ. And when you get the foundation of where your enough comes from, well, then we can say we're enough, right? But we're enough because of the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's where it begins. That's where it starts. That's also where it ends. It's all about Jesus. He is the champion. He is the almighty one. He is the one with all the strength. We are rooted and anchored in him. Not your ability to get the job done. And when, by the way, David slayed Goliath and then he cuts off his head, you know what happens next? All Israel joins into the fray. And they start chasing down the Philistines. And the Philistines start to buckle. And they start running. And victory is experienced in an even greater fashion. And even greater depth. But the back of the enemy is crushed by one person, the champion. And then it's the rest of Israel's job to further what that champion started. You get to now serve those eviction notice papers. Oh, by the way, my champion already won. This battle has been solved. This battle's been finished. I'm just, I'm just running out in the field getting into the party at this point. I'm about to whoop you. I'm about to whoop you, not because, not in my own strength, this, bad, this thing's already done. It's already decided. But I get to get in on this thing still all the same. I know him, that party that I didn't have any access to, right? I, I know that guy. And so I get to come into this thing. Woo, I'm chasing you down. Victory is mine, not because of my ability or my accomplishment or my strength, but because of his. Right. I have so many more things to tell you. <laughs> but I cannot. Colossians 2:15. Paul writes of Jesus. And you may miss the context here, but this is this is champion fighting champion. This is war language being used in Colossians 2.15 of the sort that we are talking about today. He says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, being Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. 
In other words, by Jesus going to the cross, the language that he's using for anyone hearing and reading this verse, the context is a king that defeats another king. And what you would do in that moment, I know it's a little bit graphic and it's a little bit rough, but you would drag that king behind you in your chariot. And you would make what? A public spectacle of this other king. The other champion who did not have what it takes to get the job done. And so what Paul is writing is that Jesus, your great and mighty champion, it's not like he just a little bit won. No, no, no. He has defeated death. He has defeated sin. He has defeated the enemy. And like a king dragging his prize behind him in his chariot, he is dragging the devil around town. He has whooped him and he has whooped him bad. Even the word gospel. I said I wasn't going to go there, but I'm going to now. In the Greek, the word, I'm going to teach this for a second. This isn't preaching now, this is teaching for you. For those of you who need to write a few things down, this is your moment. The word gospel that we talk about, the gospel. Have you read the gospels? That's a Greek word, and the Greek is euangelion. Euangelion, actually, if you really want to get technical. And you, E-U equals good, and angel equals announcement. And we obviously know angel when the angels would come in the Bible, there was always an announcement to be made. And so we understand the context. And the euangelion was a word for us. This is a Christian-y word. For people hearing the word gospel and reading it, that was not the case. This was a political word. The euangelion was the announcement that would be made in the midst of battle or in the midst of war. You would have the town center and the town that was under oppressive rule by another town or another country or another village. And you would go to war and you would get your, your army and your army would meet somewhere out in the, the field, somewhere out in the battle. And you would go to war, but your town where you lived, guess what? You're not there. You don't see it. You're not present to actually know what's happening on the battlefield. And so what would happen? The battle would ensue. One side would win. And they would send who? A messenger with the euangelion, the announcement of what happened. And that person's responsibility was to do one thing. Put on their running shoes and run. And you ran as fast as you could back to your community, back to your city where most people would be waiting in the town center because they're, they're, they're finding out whether or not they are still slaves, whether they are oppressed, whether there is a foreign, you know, oppressive rule that still exists over them. And the person would run into the square and they would make the announcement, the good news or the bad news. But nevertheless, it was news. It was the euangelion. And in this case, when we talk of the gospel in the New Testament, people would have heard this from the context of a messenger letting you know if your city is free. And the messenger would come in and they would let you know, we have won. You're free. We, re we are victorious. You didn't do a thing 
But the champion who went toe-to-toe out in the battlefield, he got it all done. And ladies and gentlemen, strike up the band. It's party time because we are now a free people. That is the good news. And when Jesus says, I've come, repent, I'm preaching the gospel. The, The good news is here. What he's helping people understand is that you have the victory because of Christ. He has set you free. Nothing is holding you down. It's not your strength. It's not your ability. It's not your your muscle. It's about Jesus. In Romans 8, as I close with this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? Hardship? Persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm going to say that, we'll read verse 37 again. In all of these things, we, you, I, am more than conqueror through him who has loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor, nor, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know why you are a conquering, victorious saint in God's house? It's because of Jesus and his great love for you. Nothing can separate you if you have put your faith in Jesus. There is no separation that exists. And understand, when we talk about victory in Jesus, oh, we can relegate it to churchy experience and churchy moments. This isn't churchy right here. This is real life stuff for you. Paul, he's talking about people who are persecuted, people who are hungry, people who don't have clothes. People who are in danger. People who are experiencing hardship and trouble. I need victory in those kinds of things too. And Paul is reminding us that Jesus has given you victory over sin and victory over death. You can experience salvation because of him, but it doesn't end there. In all of these things, you are victorious. In fact, you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Victory belongs to you when you trust Jesus to be the hero of your story. Victory belongs to you because you belong to Jesus. And his victory becomes your victory.
My kids come to me and they ask for certain things. There are times where I tell them no. A lot of times I tell them no. But there are also so many things that they have. They don't even have to ask me about. They just get. By virtue of being a son in my house, this is what you are afforded. You can ask for it. We can talk about it. But ultimately, it doesn't even matter because you're going to get it. It belongs to you. Victory belongs to you. Now, you may need to remind yourself today. In fact, stand to your feet. Some of you are stirred today because you, you needed to be reminded that the victory is yours. Yes, victory is yours. I want you to hear this. I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. I'm not saying don't meet with a therapist or don't meet with a counselor. I'm not saying stop taking your medicine. But I'm also telling you today that the greatest answer for the hopelessness that exists in our heart is Jesus Christ. And the ultimate answer for all of your ailments and frustrations and, and discouragements and disappointments is Jesus and his victory. That is what we need. It is the bedrock. It is the foundation. And today, maybe you need to remind yourself that as a son or daughter in his house, this is what you get. You may be standing on the outside like Israel. But your champion has won this great battle. And now you get to take the field and keep running that enemy out of town. We've won. Get out. Father, I praise you right here and right now for the victory that exists because of your son, Jesus. God, we do not take it lightly today. Jesus, we thank you. We don't even know the extent, the pain, the, the challenge, what you went through on the cross. God, who knows? Who knows what that really felt like, God? You bore our sin upon your shoulders. God, you took it all. You went to the cross and you rose again victorious three days later because death could not hold you down. You lived the life that we could not live and you did it for us. And today we thank you, we praise you for your great and wondrous victory. Some of you right where you're, you're standing today, you just need to remind yourself. So do it today. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you have made me victorious. I have victory because you are victorious the battle belongs to you you're the hero of my story you are my great champion we worship you we praise the mighty wondrous the holy The great one. Jesus, you are our great champion. Who is like you? Nobody.
you need to renew your faith in Jesus as your victorious champion today. This is your moment. Say, Jesus, you have my everything. I give you my everything. I've tried so hard in my own strength. But Jesus, it's your strength that I need. So I give it all to you today. Lord, we love and worship you. Amen.